milers are often a team effort rather than an individual run because um, they're there to support and encourage you. And 100 miles are really, really difficult. Um, and yes, you can do them by yourselves. And I, I think anybody who does a 100 miler without paces and without crew deserves like extra kudos because that's just an incredible feat. Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 2 of Outlandish with me, Ed Scott. This podcast is all about trail running, particularly in the southeast of England. And when I think of people who make the most of living in this part of the world, Ali Whitlock is up there with the best. The Queen of Croydon, as she definitely does not want to be called, Ali is a South London-based ultra runner who, in the last few years, has made a bit of a name for herself in the Centurion running community. She's completed a number of 50 and 100 mile races, and when she's not running, you might spot her taking pictures of runners as an official photographer at some of these events. This year, Ali ran the Thames Path 100, a pancake flat race along the River Thames from London to Oxford. I wanted to speak to her to find out just what it takes to run that legendary distance 100 miles. This week's episode follows a slightly different format. I wanted to find out all that I could about running a 100 mile race, so I spoke to Ali about two weeks before the Thames Path 100, and then again about two weeks after it. I've then spliced together these two conversations to create one complete episode. Unlike episode one, both of these conversations were recorded remotely, which is still a bit of a learning curve for me when it comes to podcasting, so do bear with me if there are any slight delays or sound issues. I must admit I was a little bit under the weather for the second of these two conversations, so I do apologise if I sound a bit flat, but I definitely enjoyed talking to Ali about her experience at the Thames Path 100. She is a reserved and humble person, but she is an absolute monster when it comes to running ultramarathons. If you enjoy the episode, do give us a follow on Instagram at outlandish.run, or you can find us on Facebook, and do visit the website, which is also outlandish.run. As was the case last week, there is a bonus clip at the end of the episode, as well as a sneak preview of next week's episode. And now, Ali Whitlock. Ali, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. No worries. Where are you joining me from today? I am currently um, in Croydon, South London. Nice. You're a bit of a Croydon advocate in the uh, in the UK trail running scene from what I've seen. How long have you lived in Croydon? Yeah, I've, I've been in Croydon for about 14 years now. And um, I know Croydon has quite a bit of a, a bad reputation. So uh, I always defend it. Yeah, it, it's not, it has its moments, but I think there's also a lot of positive um, things about the area. So yeah, I will always, always be an advocate for, for Croydon. It's not necessarily an area that's sort of renowned for being outdoorsy, but actually, as anyone who follows you on Strava will know, you've got access to some amazing countryside really close to your doorstep. 
yeah it's amazing and um i'm just slightly disappointed that it took me about eight nine years of living in the area before i discovered quite how how rural um croydon is um just the fact that um well a couple of miles from where i live um lloyd park addington hills um that's kind of where the, the trails start and from there i can get right down to past the m25 the north downs um down to the south downs and even even down to the south coast um purely on trail um barely touching road or tarmac and it's yeah it's amazing best of both worlds because i can also be up in central london in 15 minutes and i can be down on the north downs in 15 20 minutes well we should probably mention there that you are the female self-supported fkt holder on the vanguard way um which is a 102 <laughs> kilometer trail connecting croydon with new haven on the south coast that's right it is, um, yes. i'm sure we could probably dedicate like an entire episode just to talking about that um but you know where does that fkt sit for you in terms of your sort of running highlights um I, it's probably one of my my biggest highlights um it was last summer um the vanguard way is actually the trail that i i discovered trail running on um it all started sort of like on a i'm a member of striders of croydon running club and it all started um probably about five six years ago um on a club run one wednesday evening and um we just moved to our summer off-road routes and um, we went on this this route called the Vanguard Way and um, it went through woods and down tracks and trails and I was like for me at that point Croydon was still very much road based and um, I was intrigued this Vanguard Way what is it where does it go um, and it literally is is where I discovered trail running um, after the club run I then went online discovered what the Vanguard Way was discovered where it went and um, gradually sort of like on, on little solo runs started um, exploring a little bit further. So the club run, we probably only did about four or five miles of it out and back. Um, so hardly, hardly touched the trail. Um, and then I kept going a mile further, a mile further. Um, and then one day, summer of, I think it was 2016, I thought I'm gonna, gonna try and go a little bit further. Um, I didn't really know anything about trail running at all at that point. I had no GPX files. I had no way of, of navigating. Um, let's just say that um, I was aiming for Edenbridge on the Vanguard Way and I ended up near Caterham on the North Downs Way. And anyone who knows Surrey and knows um, either of those trails will know that they are miles apart. Um, but it literally is where the Vanguard Way is where I discovered trail running, learned about how to navigate, where to go, how to run on trails. Um, and um, yeah, I've loved it, loved it ever since. And then last summer, um, it was a little bit of a impromptu, um, I got, yeah, impromptu attempt and thought, well, there's no female fastest known time. Let's uh, see if I can do it. Guaranteed, guaranteed win. Exactly, exactly. It's amazing, um, Strava Far, because it's a, it's a very straight trail. So you pretty much head straight down south towards the coast. So it looks absolutely epic. <laughs> I do quite like it because it is Croydon to the to the south coast, and um, it was yeah, it was an amazing run. Um, it was a, a, almost a perfect day for for running as well. Not too hot, not too cold, no rain. Um, just really good trail conditions um, and I literally just set off at five o'clock in the morning with the intention of, of running the trail. All I had was that the last train back from New Haven was I think at about 11 o'clock that night so that was my my kind of like goal to get to New Haven by by the final tra train. 
um, and to see how far along I could get. If I could do the whole thing, great. If I couldn't, then, well, I'd just go and explore a little bit further and, and discover the trail a little bit more. Um, but yeah, did the whole thing. I'd love to talk about the Thames Path 100, but before I do that, I just want to get a sense of your running history because you're very experienced when it comes to um, ultramarathons. So when did you start running and how did that sort of come about? Oh gosh, I probably, I started running probably about 11 years ago. Um, no, possibly a little bit more longer ago than that. And it was just the usual thing. I did a race for life with friends. Um, so that's one of those five Ks. Um, it was, I, I, I almost don't think I really ran it. I didn't train for it or anything, um, but I quite enjoyed it. And so from then on, I started doing a few little plods around the park. Um, I, I lived over in, um, used to live over in Balham and I used ones with Common and there was a one kilometre circuit around the, the edge of the park and I remember the first few times I went out I had to stop four times doing this one kilometre loop. Um, so yeah kind of like I would say I haphazardly jogged for a few years um, and then when I um, bought a house in Croydon um, I swapped my gym membership for um, a mortgage and um, started running properly because people told me that running was free um, compared to a gym membership that cost me money. Um, that may not quite be a true statement. Um, and so I started running a little bit more seriously, did my first marathon in 2012 and probably you could say the rest is, is history, um, kind of progressed from, from there. Um, a lot of people listening to this might be just sort of just starting out running ultras or even starting out running at all. And a distance like 100 miles can seem completely out of the realms of possibility. It's a distance that I'm really only just beginning to sort of vaguely comprehend myself. And I've been running ultras for pretty solidly for about four years now. Um, and even then, I'm pretty sure that running 100 miles is nothing like I'm imagining it might be. Um, how was the process for you sort of coming to terms with the kinds of distances that you've ended up gravitating towards? I think it, in, in some ways it was it was almost accidental and that's kind of a bit of a theme throughout all of my running. Um, my very first marathon was accidental in the sense that I entered it six weeks beforehand because I'd got lost on a training ran, run, ran 18 miles because I got lost and thought, well, if I can run 18 miles, I can do a marathon. Um, and so went home, found a marathon, entered it for six weeks later and did it. Similar kind of thing with, with ultra running. Um, back in 2016, um, in the summer of 2016, I'd done a couple of marathons that spring. I then got myself injured. Um, mainly because I'd got over-enthusiastic and ran too much and did all the stupid things that we all do as runners, um, ran through an injury and um, didn't run for three months. Whilst I was injured, I decided I wanted a new challenge, um, wanted to do something different. I'd recently discovered trail running and um, discovered the North Downs Way 50. And so entered the North Downs Way 50 on a whim. Um, I was injured, I hadn't run for three months. I didn't own trail shoes, I didn't own a race pack, um, I didn't actually really know where the North Downs was 
or what it entailed, but I just decided that I wanted a bit of an adventure. Um, and that was it. And so I did North Downs by 50 in 2017. Um, absolutely loved it. Um, had an absolute blast. Um, my only goal was to finish, which I did. Um, and I enjoyed the, the whole thing. Um, so. It, as it goes, immediately entered more races. Um, and then two years later in 2019, um, ended up at South Downs Way 100. Um, it just kind of snowballed. Um, but the thing with, with most of my races or most of my first races is that I say they're kind of accidental and impromptu is that I, I entered them, but I don't actually tell anybody that I'm doing them until a few weeks beforehand. And I, I think that's partly kind of like in my head, it's like this massive challenge, like 50 miles. I was like, what are you doing? That's just crazy. There's no way you can do that. And I think there's a little bit of sort of like uncertainty. And so I didn't want to go telling people that I was doing 50 miles um, and then not actually be able to do it. So I, I didn't actually tell anyone I was doing it until about four weeks before the race. Um, and the same thing with the first 100 miler, it just was this absolute crazy distance. How could I even possibly conceive the idea of, of running 100 miles? Um, let's not tell anyone, because if I don't tell anyone, then I don't have to then explain why I don't do it, because I've kind of like been a little bit overambitious. But I did do it. So July, no, June 2019, South Downs Way 100. And, um, as with most races like that, it was like at one point during the race, I was never running again. I was giving up running. I was never, ever going to do another race, never going to do another ultra. It's kind of addictive though, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's fair to say, yeah, you've gone from strength to strength. I mean, you probably don't want to list your PBs yourself, but I've got a couple of them here. 100 <laughs> oh miles, uh, 2118 at the South Downs Way 100 in 2021, which is an incredible time. Yeah. Uh, 50 miles, 850 again at the South Downs Way 50. That seems to be a trail that you enjoy the South Downs way. It is, I, I do love the South Downs way. And um, I, I have actually recently just actually beaten my 50 mile PB. Oh, you have? Yeah, but it's- Do you want to tell everyone, go on. Something, something completely different to the South Downs. The South Downs way is my, I love it down there. I love trails. Um, I've just run 50 miles on a track. Um, wow. So I did, did a track race, so 202 laps around the track and 50 miles in seven hours, 56, I think it was. Oh, wow. Flying. That's awesome. So, that must um, have been a, an incredible experience. I was actually up in Bedford at the weekend watching the Centurion Track 100 and it was just mind-boggling to imagine running that kind of a distance on a surface I like know that. it was insane it was it was purely you've already mentioned Thames Path 100s and it, it was done yeah. purely as a mental training for Thames Path 100 because I mm -hmm. love trails I love hills I love views I love um, the variety of something like the north and the south downs that's that's mm -hmm. my passion that's what I love about running and the Thames Path is is very flat um, and I was slightly concerned that it would get a little bit mundane and a little bit boring. Since recce in the route, I've discovered that it's not at all boring, but it is flat. And so the track race was purely um, mental training for Thames Path, sort of like trying to get myself into the mindset of just flat running, using the same muscles. Um, time and time again um and just trying to get into that little bit of a zone that you need to, when you're when you're sort of like doing the long distances um mm. so it yeah was that makes sense it was an experience not sure if i'll do it again <laughs> but you know yeah good good thing to try um we'll come on to thames path you've placed fairly high in some races um south downs way 50 
10th lady in 2019 to fourth lady in 2021 fourth again at the south downs way 100 that same year um sixth lady at the north downs way 100 in 2020 does the competitive side sort of enter into it for you or is that sort of a happy byproduct of of what you're doing i think it's a happy byproduct i'm competitive with myself um and so i will go into a race like south downs way 100 last year 2021 was my my second go at that that race and I was competitive with myself in the sense that I wanted to to beat my first attempt because my first attempt although I finished wasn't the greatest of races and I kind of felt as if I needed to to beat the South Downs way last year and so I'd got my goals and but it was more about about me um, and what I could do um, finishing fourth was was a happy byproduct I think there was an element where the last couple of years um, COVID has affected um, entrance to these races and I wonder if I would have finished fourth if it had been pre-COVID um, because the times were a little bit slower um, than when, when a lot of the, the sort of like the top women have run them. Um, mm. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm just competitive with myself. Still counts. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> still, still got the place. Um, you document your runs on your blog, photogirlruns.blog, which I've been um, reading a bit over the weekend, really enjoying. Um, I'm also a blogger, and I often feel that like a, a big race or a big effort isn't really fully digested for me until I've sort of written out a race report and tried to sort of put it into words. Um, obviously, it's kind of impossible to fully capture the experience, but I'm just curious as to why you started the blog and, and what you sort of get out of that. I actually started the blog um, when I started training for that very first North Downs Way 50, um, because in my head, I was going to do one 50 mile run um, and I wanted to, to document the experience. And so I, I did blog my training every week, sort of like what runs I did. It also um, was almost blogging my way along the trail because as tra as I was training for North Downs Way 50 that's when I was kind of discovering trail running and so for me it was it was kind of part of my journey um, I never thought I would do anything anything else after North Downs Way 50 I, I don't know what made me think that because we all know that that that's never the case and so I just carried on um, blogging after that but I tend to only do races and events and big things and I think partly for me it's partly my way of processing um, and capturing my memories um, because you, you often sort of like with anything you often sort of like forget some of the key moments and forget some of the the things that happened and it is just reminding myself um, of what what I've done and where I've been and what I've seen um, and particularly sort of like I've been doing it for the last five six years it has almost become a, a document of my my trail journey um, and how running trails has um, impacted me personally and, and my life. And there's a couple of blogs on there where I kind of like um, relate my journey along the North Downs Way with um, actually my personal story and how trail running has, has like impacted my life and, and things like that. Um, and I find it quite therapeutic just writing and I'd, I'd love to do more of it. Um, perhaps I need to do more races to give me more opportunity to to write. Um, but I do find it quite quite therapeutic, just as a way of of capturing those memories and and um, preserving things. Yeah, absolutely. It's a nice. I, I catch myself sometimes looking back through my blog, which I've had now for 
three or f- I think it's been yeah three years now, and so there's quite a lot on there, and um, yeah, it's nice to sort of look back. It's almost like a journal in some mm. ways. Yeah, yeah. Even if nobody else reads it, it's yeah. You're exactly right. It's a journal for myself. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can assure you, nobody else reads mine. So don't worry. <laughs> um, we have to talk about the Thames Path Hundred. Um, I've got the description here from Centurion's website, which I thought I would just read out for anyone who's perhaps not familiar with the race. Um, the Thames Path Hundred is a one hundred mile continuous trail race along the Thames from London to Oxford. The hundred mile course is a marked point to point race, which takes runners from Richmond in southwest London to the centre of Oxford. Uh, the course follows the meandering route of the Thames against its flow and is flat and fast with the majority on groomed paths and trails and paved pathways. Um, so today is April 25th, 2022. It is 12 days until the Thames Path 100. Um, this isn't your first 100 miler, as we've discussed. So how are you feeling about this one? How am I feeling? I'm actually quite excited for this, um, partly because I do enjoy the process of, of racing. I particularly enjoy Centurion races um, because I, I, I like the atmosphere, the people um, and the event that they create. Um, so I'm excited. I kind of want to get going now, if I'm honest. I'm, I feel ready. Um, or as ready as you ever can be for for something like a hundred miles, um, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. I just want to kind of I'm in taper now, and it's that moment that kind of time when you're in taper and you're just like you're getting a little bit of it itchy, and you're just kind of like yeah, I just want to get going now. Yeah, I, I relate. Um, is this a sort of see how things go race, or let's bash out a fast time on a flat course <laughs> race? It's, it's a tricky one. Um, I don't race very often. You get some people who will be racing every month or twice a month. I tend to race two or maybe three times a year. Um, and that's partly because I just love running. And so I'm happy just running and doing training runs. But it also means that when I do race, I do put a lot of energy into it, into my training, into, into preparation, because I want to do the best that I can at the the few opportunities that that I have. Um, And so, yes, I I have some goals um, that I'd like to achieve. They're very much personal goals um, because I think with anything like 100 miles, it's always very much testing to see what what I'm capable of, um, what I can do. Um, There's no point worrying about anyone else or what else is happening in the race. It's purely getting myself from Richmond to Oxford um, in the best way possible. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, does that does that answer it? Yeah, Without absolutely. giving too much away? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you have the right to play your cards close to your chest. Um, it's obviously, uh, you know, as you discussed, it's an extremely flat race, uh, 1,900 feet or 580 metres, which over the course of 100 miles is essentially pancake flat. Um, to the unindicted, that might suggest that it's kind of an easier race. But as anyone who's run an ultra before will know, a good hill can really provide you with the opportunity to sort of take that walking break and get some food in. Um, Has the race being flat kind of affected your training at all? You mentioned that you ran that track 50 miler. Have you been focusing on on flat running? Yeah, it's it's had made a huge difference to my training since since the start of this year. Um, I miss the trails. I miss the North Downs way, the South Downs way. Um, It's like usually I'd be down one of those places most weekends or every other weekend. Um, But I really have focused on flat 
predominantly road because it's the easiest flat to, to find. Um, I've wrecked the whole Thames Path route, so right from the start in Richmond to Oxford in four sections. And yeah, I have purely been focusing on, on flat running um, because I don't do a lot of it. I, I like hills, I'm fairly strong on hills, um, and I haven't really done any flat running for, for years um, since I discovered trail. And so it, change of mindset, change of light approach, um, lots of long flat jogging. Um, but with that, you mentioned about sort of like the variety of hills in, in ultras, um, giving you a bit of a rest and a bit of a break. What I've sort of like been finding is that particularly on the hilly ultras, um, going up, up hills, down hills, you're using different muscles. Um, and so actually you may not necessarily get as tired because you're using a different muscle going up the hill as you are going down the hill and then you've got the flat and then you've got the varied ground. But what I'm finding with, with the flat and the Thames Path training is that actually you're using the same muscles continuously. And so it's a different kind of fatigue that you're, you're building. Um, and so what I've actually done is I've actually built in a run-walk schedule, um, which I'm going to use on, on race day. So run a block, then have a little walk break to give the natural recovery that you'd get going up a hill um, on somewhere like the North Downs. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we'll see, we'll see. How useful do you think a strategic approach is to something as in all engrossing as an ultra like this? Yeah, I think I think there's an well for me personally. I think think you have to be strategic. It's kind of like um, isn't there a saying? A goal without a plan is just a dream. And so actually, mm. I've got a goal, and so to achieve my goal, I need a I need a plan, and so I need to be strategic about it. Without that plan, um, my goal would be just a dream because you'd just be relying on uh, almost on luck and I've trained hard for this and so I don't want to rely on luck and so actually the planning and the strategy is part of the running um, to give me the mm -hmm. best opportunity that I have to to get to that finish line. Yeah absolutely. Um, do you have a time in mind that you're aiming for or is that something that you prefer to keep sort of undisclosed? <laughs> I do have a time in mind. I, I might uh, might stay quiet now. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Um, it's such an iconic course, you know, it's the, it's the Thames, it's the defining river of the South and there's so much history associated with it. As you said, you've wrecked the whole thing. Is it a trail that you've come to love or is your heart still in the hills? My heart is definitely, definitely still in the hills, but I have, um, my perception of the Thames path has completely changed. I, um, I was quite familiar with the, the London end of it, so sort of like um, from London Bridge, well right from Greenwich actually, sort of like through sort of like London Bridge through the city out towards kind of like Kingston area. I knew that bit quite well and that bit obviously a lot of it is quite urban, quite concrete, quite tarmac-y. But once you kind of get past, past Kingston, past Hampton Court, Actually, it's really lovely. There are sections, I'll give you that. There are, there are a few towns that you go through that um, might not be quite so lovely, but it's beautiful. It's like you're running alongside the river, you're on, on trail, so on, on mud, um, small woodlands going through fields, um, tracks and trails, um, there's nature running through the spring sort of like seeing the flowers budding and the, the trees blossoming and and things like that it's yeah my mind has completely changed about the Thames path I used to I, I went into it thinking this was going to be quite boring um I wasn't going to enjoy it there'd be nothing to look at but no I, I 
I think I'm going to quite enjoy it. Well, by the time people are listening to this, all will have unfolded. Um, but here and now, I wish you all the best for the race. I really hope things go your way. Thank you. Um, but even if they don't, we'll have plenty to talk about when we catch up afterwards. Um, yeah, make sure you put your feet up for the next few days and uh, I look forward to seeing how it goes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the podcast where I am once again joined by my guest Ali. Uh, it is May 25th, 2022. It's exactly one month since we last spoke and it has been 18 days since the Thames Path 100. For our listeners, uh, no time at all has passed, but I imagine for you, Ali, it's been a pretty significant couple of weeks. Uh, how are you feeling right now, 18 days post-race? Um, morning, Ed. Um, I have to say I'm still quite tired. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the time has gone quite quickly and um, it's actually been a really, really busy few weeks. And so I've not had a huge amount of time to really even think about the race that much. Um, but yeah, quite quite tired. Done a couple of a uh, couple of easy jogs to uh, see how the legs are doing, and um, yeah. they're doing okay. They're doing okay. Nice. We, we are going to talk about the race, um, and for our listeners and myself, I, I really want to find out as much as I can about what goes into a hundred mile effort like this. Um, I think the best place to start though would be to sort of wind back the clock to the week before the race and the days leading up to it. How are those days for you? Are there any sort of pre-race rituals you like to adopt to sort of put your mind and body at ease? Not particularly, no. Um, I have to say I was quite strategic leading up to this race because I put a lot of work into my training and I didn't want it to fall apart at the last last minute. So I actually had a really quiet couple of weeks in the run-up to it. This was partly because um, I was absolutely paranoid about getting COVID and um, not making that right. start line. So I deliberately sort of like stayed quite quiet um, in, in the run-up to, to the race. Um, just, yeah, um, working from home, carried on my easy jogging, um, did a couple of sort of like sharpness sessions where I did marathon pace blocks just to kind of like as much for my mind as for my body to like confirm that, yes, I, I was ready. Um, and then in the, the last couple of days, it's what we all do, isn't it? It's uh, eating a little bit more, drinking a little bit more water, trying to sleep, which isn't always easy for someone who suffers with insomnia, mm. um, and um, packing my kit bag approximately 27 times. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it was a fairly, I actually had a fairly laid back week leading up to the race, which was actually quite nice. Do you tend to sleep quite well before races or are you up all night? Um, I don't sleep well at all. Um, whether it's a race or not a race. Um, right. So I actually, um, in the week leading up to it, I actually medicated for a couple of nights to make sure that I got sleep. Mm. Deliberately didn't medicate the night before the race because I was uh, slightly concerned it might knock me out too much and I'd uh, miss the start line. Um, but I knew that sleep was important and I knew that I couldn't go into the race not having slept well the week before. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I did medicate a little bit because I, I don't sleep well, right. full stop. So um, you arrive in Richmond, you head to the start line. Um, any race start is always super special, especially a 100-mile race. But it has to be said that there's something about Centurion start lines that are just even more special. The atmosphere is so brilliant. It's exciting, but not in a kind of waving glow sticks and playing loud music kind of way. It's it's more like a kind of friendly, uh, energetic focus. Yeah. Um, how how were the early miles of the race for you? The early 
early miles were it's always weird those early miles isn't it because you're standing on the start line just full of apprehension a bit of excitement I deliberately moved away from my friends so that I wasn't starting in a group with them because I was quite focused mm. on what I wanted to do and I didn't want to get caught up in anyone else's race. Um, those first few miles, there are people kind of like sprinting past you. There's all the excitement. For me, um, it was just trying to kind of like get into the groove, get into the rhythm. I run via heart rate, um, and so my intention was to start the race keeping my heart rate, heart rate nice and controlled so that I knew that I was um, not going off too hard. But it was actually quite hot on the day, even at 9.30 mm. at race start. It was incredibly warm, which was a little bit of a shock to the system. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's always, you know, a good strategy in any race to sort of go out conservatively. Um, but, you know, in a half marathon or a marathon, that might mean sort of taking the first couple of kilometers or the first 5K relatively cautiously. But with 100 miles, I mean, presumably it's many hours before you feel like you've banked enough miles um, to feel like the event is properly underway. When does that sort of start to sink in? Oh gosh, it's probably not even until half midway through the second half, like mm. 60, 70, 80 miles. Yeah. Um, it's, I think the, my goal in my head is always get to halfway feeling okay. Um, yeah. And then you know that you're kind of almost on the home stretch. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so it is, it is all about trying to start quite conservatively, quite mm. steady. Um, keeping the heart rate low, keeping the effort easy, the pace down. Um, you mentioned in our I last chat. Ever... Sorry, go on. No, go on. I was going to say you mentioned in our last chat that you were planning on adopting a run-walk strategy. Is this something you were able to stick with, at least at first? Uh, yes, I would run 28 minutes, walk two minutes, and that two-minute walk break was also my fueling break. So I'd, I'd take on something to eat um, during those two minutes, and I start did that right from the start. And it lasted up, and, well, it lasted up until halfway. Although miles 35 to 50, I did have to add in a couple of extra walk breaks, mm -hmm. um, simply because it was so flipping hot mm. um, that I just needed a little bit extra kind of like recovery. Mm -hmm. um, but then from half, halfway onwards, it, it was very much about getting it done. And so it did need, I did need to have extra walks in the second mm -hmm. half, which I'm a bit disappointed about because I'd have liked to have stuck to it for a lot longer. But it was very good because it did give me a, a focus early on in the race. Um, and I was really strict for those first few, first few hours. Um, up to 30 miles, I was very strict that my watch beeped to say 28 minutes, I stopped and walked, mm -hmm. um, no matter what was going on around me. Yeah, I'm sure, that's, I'm sure that really helped. Uh, you mentioned the weather was, was difficult. Was it um, just an issue with, with the heat or was it to do with exposure? I know parts of the Thames can be relatively exposed for long stretches. I think it was a little bit of both. Um, I generally run okay in the heat. It's, I, I did North Downs Way 100 in 2020, which was like just like yeah. ridiculously hot. And even South Downs Way 100 last year was, was very hot. The difference with those two races is that I'd been able to acclimatise beforehand because we'd had a warm period leading up to the race. So I'd gone out middle of the day, I'd deliberately run during the hottest period of the day just to kind of get used to it. Mm. But with the Thames Path, um, the weather leading up to it was quite cool. 
um, not particularly warm and so I hadn't really been able to get used to the heat and so there's an element where on the the race day it, it was a shock to the system and um, it was hot um, the heat affects my heart rate so my heart yeah. rate was a lot higher than I was expecting it to be and then the worst stretches there are stretches of the Thames where it is quite open quite exposed and you're in full sunlight for for long periods of time and when your body's not used to it it's it's draining um, it takes takes a lot more energy out of you um, you just become hot sweaty um, and it made it it did actually make it feel a lot harder than it it should have done yeah was that compounded at all by the we mentioned before the race being incredibly flat I'm just trying to imagine you know sometimes on a downhill or a, a stretch that's a bit downhill you can get a bit of a breeze basically whereas on a really flat race you're basically you're stuck in that kind of monotonous pattern of just every pace is the same or every effort is the same yeah possibly I hadn't actually thought of it like that to be honest but you're right sometimes going down a hill you do get a nice breeze mm -hmm. um but yeah I guess because the the intensity and the effort level was intended to be the same throughout on on a flat course you don't get those natural ebbs and flows that you would yeah. would on a hilly route so yeah I hadn't actually thought about the flat playing mm. a playing a part of it too how did you find the flat overall I know it was a, an aspect of the race that was uh, I guess new for you having not run a completely flat 100 miler before how would how did that work out for you it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be, um, which surprises me. Um, although I was, um, I'll, I'll mention this now actually, we'll, it'll probably come up later on. There was a little diversion to the route um, because the day before the race, um, the Environment Agency had uh, closed a bridge outside Henley. They hadn't actually let Centurion know. Um, Centurion found out via Facebook and so on the morning of the race had to um, put in a diversion actually added about a mile mile and a half mm -hmm. to to the route doesn't sound a lot but on 100 miles it is a lot but anyway the diversion actually went up a hill and through a woodland oh, wow. um, and I'm one of the few people who actually probably quite liked the diversion because it went up a hill and so yeah. I got a little bit of a climb a little bit of elevation um, which actually broke up the flat quite quite nicely right. um, but actually no the flat wasn't wasn't as bad as I was expecting and I think that's partly because I'd trained on the flat for it I think if six months ago you'd put me onto a flat 100 miler I'd have found it really really difficult because I was just so used to hills and so used to sort of like you'd take a recovery going up a hill you'd then like throw yourself down the other side get a nice sort of like um, nice down downhill stretch um, and so you had like the the peaks of the hills and, and things like that but because I trained for the flat I knew what to expect which meant that I was able to to deal with it a lot better than I expected now I will say I am uh, going back to hills pretty much straight away I did miss them <laughs> um, yeah. and I missed the variety of them um, but actually it wasn't wasn't too bad nice yeah that's good to hear um I mean, you know, you're, you're a very experienced ultra runner. You've tackled the 100 mile distance a few times before. Um, I imagine sort of going out for 20 or even 30 miles at an easy pace isn't really that big of a deal for you. But with a distance like this, inevitably there are some challenges. So how soon or late in the race did you encounter any difficulties um, and what were they? Were they largely to do with the heat at first? Um, 
let's just say the race didn't quite go as I had imagined it would or planned for it to go or even hoped that it would go. Um, and pretty early on, I was conscious that it wasn't quite going how I wanted it to. And I, I mentioned earlier that I run to heart rate and I've trained specifically to heart rate. I knew what my heart rate should be. I knew what pace that translated into. I knew kind of like how long I could maintain that for. But within the first few miles, my, my heart rate was elevated. It was a lot, lot higher than, than it should have been or I was expecting it to be. And I know that heat plays a part in that, but also there was an element that the higher my heart rate was, it kind of did stress me out a little bit and worried me because I was like, I was looking at yes. my watch going, my heart rate shouldn't be that high at this pace at this time in the race. And I was getting myself quite worked up, I think, about the fact that my heart rate was, was high. It, the effort levels felt really hard. And that was actually quite early on in the race. Um, and... I really, really did begin to struggle, probably around the 30-mile mark. Um, the heat was getting to me. Um, I was having to take more walk breaks. Um, and I found that I, um, just with, with all the different elements, my heart rate being high, I, my pace was slowing. I was incredibly hot. My stomach was starting to not be happy. Um, I found that mentally I, I was struggling with the, with the race and from probably about 30 miles um, I was finding it very, very hard um, mm. and sort of dug myself into a bit of a hole um, of I don't want to do this anymore, this is horrible, um, I'm hating this, why am I doing this? I think we all go through it in an ultra, don't we? Yeah, it's almost inevitable. It's almost your success in ultras is almost related to how well you can push through those patches um you, you know the race goes on one of the most renowned aspects of the 100 mile distance is that for all but the very fastest runners you're guaranteed to get some nighttime miles in um how was the experience of of running into the sunset as it were and then and then running in the dark on this race i quite like nighttime running i don't really mind it at all i just kind of get on with it I didn't really from I didn't really see sunset, which I was a bit disappointed about. Um, that was primarily because um, it was behind trees and um, mm. hidden at that time of the race. I'm trying to think about what it was coming into Reddin. I think that the sun was going down, and um, just sort of the changing colours in the sky, but didn't really see it. Um, but I, I quite like nighttime running. I'm quite quite used to it. Pops the head torch on and just kind of yeah. got got on with it. I mean, it, the Thames can get. Like... Sorry, go on. No, go on. I was just going to say the Thames can get pretty rural in places with a with a head torch on and the water by your side. It must be a pretty interesting place to run at night. Yeah, yeah, and I'm trying. I'm trying to kind of like think, and and, and I guess my hesitation here is that there's there's part of the race that. I, my, my memories are not great on because um, I talked about starting to struggle sort of 30, 30 miles in. I had a major, major wobble at halfway, like serious wobble, wobble as in I sat down on the grass, mm. refused to move, took my number off and it took friends a good 20 minutes or so to um, encourage me to, to actually carry on. And so because my head was in such a funk, there's parts of the race that I kind of almost don't remember. And although the nighttime miles came in the second half when I'd got a pacer with me and I'd, I was feeling in a much better place because the, the temperatures had, had dropped 
I still don't remember a huge, a huge amount about it, which kind of disappoints me in a little way because I'm all about the experience and the memories and trying to trying to capture that. And I think part of it is because it was, I was just running, I was just walking, I was just moving. And it is a little bit monotonous in the sense that you're in a part on a path by a river yeah. and at night obviously you don't see all the beautiful surroundings and i know there are areas that are really really beautiful um but by the light of your head torch you you don't see a lot of them yeah um so and i think i was more focused on the fact that i'd got paces with me so we were chatting and i possibly didn't notice as much about the surroundings during those nighttime miles and I think partly that is because it was just a case of like, I was like, I need to get this done now. Yeah. And my focus was purely on moving. Yeah. Not taking in my surroundings. Yeah, I can, I can understand that, especially a race as flat and as sort of, as you say, monotonous as this. At night, it must be difficult to break it up into any discernible sections. You mentioned you mm. had paces there who um, helped you out when you actually thought about giving up how, how instrumental were they in, in this race for you oh paces and crew were just like um a major major part for me i've i actually say 100 milers are often a team effort rather than an individual run because mm. um they're there to support and encourage you and 100 miles are really really difficult um and yes you can do them by yourselves and i i think anybody who does a 100 miler without paces and without crew deserves like extra kudos because that's just an incredible feat the the paces for me are very much more about the company um mm. this time it was also a lot of encouragement um one of my paces my first pacer john he was due to join me at Reading, so that was uh 58 miles um, he was he'd met up with Nikki, who was my crew, and um, just slight change of plan. They came to meet me at Henley halfway to to talk, give me some drinks and some um, actually some calippos because I'd messaged oh, to lovely. say that I was really hot and the heat was 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 um, making it very difficult. So Nikki was like, "I'll get you a calippo and come and meet you at, at Henley," and I was like, "Great." Now Henley is halfway, and that's where I had my little uh, one woman sit down protest. Um, and as part of the the getting me to move, John actually stepped in to pace eight miles early. Um, so he wasn't due to start until till Reading, but he got his kit on, picked up his race pack, and was like, "Right, I'm coming with you now." Right. And so he, with the diversion, ended up doing an extra ten miles. Um, so actually was with me for about 50k wow. um, and I probably wouldn't have got out of Henley if I hadn't have had him almost dragging me out um, just the encouragement the support the um, right you can do this right have something to eat come on we're going and then also just the talking to distract me from the fact that at that point in time I did not want to be doing this yeah. I was quite adamant I'd had enough, the fun had stopped, it was not enjoyable, I didn't want to be doing it. Um, but actually the company and the conversation with Pacers, it does distract your mind a little bit. Um, and so we came out, we walked out of Henley, he was chatting away, we got into a conversation. Um, before I knew it, I was back jogging um, and we were moving and then before I knew it, we'd covered a mile, another mile, another mile and I was like, Oh, I guess I'm carrying on then. Um, <laughs> and so actually for this race, 
my pacers and my crew and also friends who who weren't officially part of my crew but actually were were there supporting and encouraging um, played an absolutely massive role because I think if I'd been left to my own devices at Henley um, I did take my number off because I had had enough um, they put it back on um, because I think they believed in me more than I believed in myself at that point I didn't mm. think I could do it whereas they were like you can do it um, yeah and I think that's just a massive part and so I really do think that the Thames Path in particular it, it, it's a team effort absolutely yeah it's food for thought really isn't it you know just in life in general that that other people can give you that slightly more objective perspective on your own yeah your own capabilities and your own um, yeah definitely help, help lift you definitely. up definitely um something i know from personal experience is that finish lines can be quite emotional places those emotions can vary from triumph and joy to tearful exhilaration um, and also sometimes just a kind of numb emptiness sometimes if the race has been particularly taxing um, how was your, your finish line experience coming into Oxford? It was quite good actually. Um, I'm really pleased. One of the things I did in my training was that I wrecked the entire course over several runs. And so when it came to the finish, I, I knew what to expect. Mm -hmm. um, I knew that we had a, a mile and a half, two miles kind of like on tarmac, um, kind of came off of the trail, went onto tarmac, running alongside the river. I had um, kind of like points along the river that I'd got in my mind that I knew that I had to run past. Um, now, my watch had already ticked over 100 miles a few, a few miles earlier. I knew that the race was, was going to be long. Yeah. Um, and so there was a little bit of kind of like, well, how long am I going to go? Um, but also, I was ready to get it done. And I actually, in the latter miles, I felt really good. When I think back to miles 30 to 50, when I was like having a horrible time, the latter stage of the race, I actually had a really good time. Mm. Um, I felt really good. Um, I was keeping a fairly consistent pace. Um, I was a little bit quicker than I was expecting to be. And so those last few miles coming into the, the finish, um, I just like, I ran them. I was like, I wanna, I wanna get this done. I'm ready, I'm excited. I can't believe I actually got here when 50 miles ago, I was sat on the ground refusing to move. Um, and so, yeah, you, you, yeah. you run along the river on tarmac. Um, there's a little gate in, in left-hand turn through a little gate into the field where the finish line is. And then, yeah, pick up into a sprint because you can see that, that finish, finish yeah. gantry. And, um, yeah, you do it. And so the That's last, a very the English last... way to finish a race, to hop through a little gate yes, and it shut was. the gate behind you on the way <laughs> <laughs> I think there was a marshal there kind of directing, I think, but you know how you're, you're not quite sure because all yeah. you're focused in on is at that point you can see the finish through gaps in the hedge and you can hear the noise of other people around. And so I think there was a marshal. I apologise if there was and I um, have forgotten that was directing us through this little gate into the, the, the field. Yeah, I mean, something we actually um, haven't touched on is, you know, Centurion aid stations and marshals are quite renowned for being just excellent in terms of the food and drink on offer, but also the volunteers who in some cases spend 10, 12 hours out there supporting runners. What was your experience of just quickly of the aid stations at this race? Did you rely on them much? Oh, they're amazing. Um, 
I, you're only allowed crew from halfway on the Thames path. So the first half of the race, I knew that I'd be using the aid stations. Um, now in my pre-race planning, I wasn't going to stop at every single one because um, they're quite frequent. Mm. Um, but it's, it's amazing. You walk in, there's nearly always somebody that you know there who kind of like they fill up your bottles for you do you want anything do you need anything um just even even little things like um in the centurion facebook group a couple of days before the race um the person who was shopping for checkpoint two was like does anybody have any special requests that they want um and um i was like oh can you just make sure there's bananas because it's one of the few things that I can I can actually eat and there's been a few races where they haven't had bananas and I've, I've been a bit disappointed and so I ran into checkpoint checkpoint two and um, this girl Ella she was like oh Ali I've got your banana for you <laughs> and it's just things like that that there's there's almost a personalized service to a certain extent they they do look after you it, it is almost at times it feels like they are your your personal crew although they're crew for all 287 runners um yeah. and it's incredible again similar to how cr- your own crew and pacers um you can't do the race without them we couldn't do these races without the volunteers because um they just give up their time mm. um to support us um they really are incredible and as you say some of them do sort of like uh, volunteering outside right through the night um and even the very last checkpoint at um 95 miles they were they were all stood outside cheering i didn't stop there but they cheered me on they're like right you've got four and a half miles to go Two, 2.7 of them is on rutted path and then you're on to flat tarmac and it was just things like that mm. that they're, they're they're our cheerleaders i suppose now it's time we can reveal your finish time do you want to do the honors <laughs> i guess i can do yeah um I, I finished in 21 hours 12 minutes and 15 seconds which put me as as fifth lady and uh, 34th overall yeah so and uh, third third in your category um it's a cracking time how does it compare to your your kind of hopes and expectations going into the race you mentioned you had some some difficult patches in this event yeah it's it feels a little bit i i don't want to say i'm un, unhappy with it because believe me it is an absolutely amazing time it was a a five minute pb um and i can't i can't be unhappy at that time a pb in finishing fifth but my goal was actually 20 hours. And so I was significantly outside of my goal. Um, And that was that middle third, um, sort of like 30, 35 to 55 miles, which I fell apart in. My first third of the race was was great. I was bang on target up to checkpoint two. Um, The middle third, the less said about the better. And then the latter stages of the race, I actually gained time um, and I was mm. running really, really well in the, in the latter stages of the race. And so it really was that heat and those struggles I had in the middle that, that lost it for me. And so I'm, I'm disappointed that I didn't hit my goal. I think I'm, st- I think I'm capable of it. I, I, I definitely think I'm capable of, of doing 20 hours. Um, but I'm really, I am really pleased with the time, and I'm actually what I'm most pleased about is that I was going to stop at halfway, um, but actually did manage to turn it around, did get up and move again, and sort of had to dig really deep, 
and had a brilliant last third to kind of pull it back um, from mm. Re from Reading onwards. Um, so Reading was um, supposed to be 58 miles with the diversion. It was closer to 60. I think that's the right way around. Um, I, I gained 26 places um, because wow. I was having a really good latter stage of, of the race. Um, mm. So it's it's kind of bittersweet in a way. That's the shape you want your graph to be, isn't it? It is. It, just if I could get rid of that middle third of the race. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's bittersweet. Um, looking at the numbers, looking at the positions, looking at how the race fit finished, um, it looks great. And if anybody just looks at the numbers, they're like, yeah, amazing. But for me personally, um, I, I am, yeah, I'm a little bit disappointed. Mm. Um, but it just means I'm going to have to have another go at some point. Absolutely. It makes me think of that um, quote by Laz Lake where he says, you can't accomplish anything without the possibility of failure. Um, and I imagine having come so close to calling it quits, there yeah. must be a sort of uh, a silver lining to having pushed through and, and learnt that you, when you thought you were at your lowest, you actually had so much more to give, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And it's all a learning experience, isn't it? It's um, you learn from when things don't go right you learn um i think you probably learn more from almost failure than you do from from when things go yeah. go perfectly um and i know that i definitely learned um and i will approach approach any future races possibly slightly differently um to to hopefully have a different outcome well um Ali, I want to thank you once again for lending us your time uh, and sharing your experience with us. It's been really awesome to kind of pick your brain and get some insight into what it takes to run 100 miles. I'm still so in awe of anyone who tackles that distance or even even tries to. Um, and I can't wait to read the race report if there is one on your blog, photogirlruns.blog, which I once again highly recommend there everyone listening one. checks out. Um, what is next in the calendar for you running wise? I know you only run or race a couple times a year. Have you got another race lined up this year? Or are you looking at 2023? Um, I do have a few more races and I've, I've actually got a few more than I usually do in my diary. Um, I finished Thames Path 100 and then entered the Wendover Wood Night 50k, oh, yeah. um, which is a completely different race. But yeah. I just kind of thought, you know what, I want something fun to do. Um, I'm doing Lakeland 50 um, oh, in July, um, but that is very much, that's, that's a that's a jolly in the lakes with friends um that's yeah. not a hard race that's just going for the experience and just have a good time i do have a place in autumn 100 in october um that's a as a result of volunteering there last year i haven't decided how i'm going to approach that because i know myself and i know my body and i don't know if i can do two hard training blocks in a 12-month period so we'll see later in the year as to whether i i do that whether i just go and enjoy it or whether i do go after my 20 hours there yeah we'll we'll see so yeah i've got a few things a few things lined up um but mostly it's uh getting back to getting back to the trails getting back to the hills going out yeah. and having some fun and uh just sort of like enjoying being out and out and about is what i'm i'm looking forward to most over the next couple of months getting away from the flat yes indeed indeed um i do have one final question Okay. Uh, which is a question I'm asking all my guests on this podcast. And it's particularly pertinent for you, actually, given how much you've been focusing on this one specific flat environment um, in recent months. And that question is, what is your favourite place to run in the south of England? Oh, gosh. Now, I personally can't decide between the south and the north downs. Um, 
I love them both and I love them both equally. I love the South Downs because it's quite runnable and you've got, you're running by the sea and you've got the coast and you've got views for miles. Um, and it's just, it's beautiful. But I also love the North Downs because that's where, where I discovered trail running. North Downs is, is kind of my home. And so it, the, the paths are familiar to my feet. I, I know sections of it, like the back of my hand. And so it kind of like, it, it's where my heart is. Um, I can never decide between the two. It's like, if you asked me North Downs Way mm. 50, South Downs Way 50, I like them both. I like both trails. So yeah, either the North or the South Downs, definitely. Nice. Well, Ali, thank Sorry, you. Sorry, that didn't very really much. answer the question, <laughs> did it? <laughs> no, that's fair enough. I, I struggle similarly. They're so different. And even though they're so close together and, you know, they are essentially two sides of the same coin, they are so different just because of one being so close to London yeah. and one being so much more uh, exposed. Yeah. No, I understand your dilemma. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, Ali, thank you so much. Um, and uh, speak to you again soon yeah no thank you for having me well there you have it 100 miles perhaps not the outcome that Ali was hoping for but still an amazing time and as she said you learn so much from those difficult experiences I have no doubt personally that Ali will one day return to the Thames Path 100 and absolutely crush it can you crush something that's already flat I don't know but if anyone can Ali can if you want to find out more about Ali's journey, you can check out her blog, which is photogirlruns.blog, or head to her Instagram, which is photogirlruns. Next week, I am so excited to bring you a chat about hats. That's right, caps, hats, headwear, whatever you call them. They are super important to many of us out on the trails, myself included. I personally never go for a run without a cap, which is why I was so excited to chat to my friend, Daryl Hanstein, who founded the trail headwear company, Ugoku Projects. I don't want it just to be about the caps and that. Mm. Even if I'm running along with someone, I won't mention that I'm selling caps and things like that. Don't carry a bunch with you. No. And a car no. machine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, that's, that's something secondary to me, yeah. you know. I, I mean, the, the community is the thing that I really love about all of it. Just meeting people out there mm. and just chatting with them and hearing people's stories and things like that yeah, totally. and how they got into it. And yeah, everyone's got, a, everyone's got a story to tell. That was a clip from next week's episode with Daryl, a really great conversation that I look forward to sharing with you. There's also some bonus footage that will be posted on YouTube. Other than that, all that is left for me to say is thank you very much for listening thus far. And as promised, here is a little bonus clip about volunteering from my conversation with Ali. See you next week. I can also recommend to anyone, if you haven't before, to to volunteer at a race. It's a really good yeah. way to get a different perspective on the event and just give back a little bit. I actually volunteered at Aid Station 2 last year um, and it was a really cool experience because you got to see, obviously the front runners, which I must admit, I very rarely see the front runners, but also, you know, all the way, right the way through to the back of the pack and the people yeah. who are chasing cutoffs, even, you know, 20 miles in, they're chasing the cutoffs. And it's a really, yeah. you get a, a really different sense of the event. It's really worth doing. Yeah, I, I love volunteering. I've, I volunteered at North Downs Way 50 at the weekend just gone. And I've volunteered at, um, I think, 
most of the 100 milers at some point over the last few years. And you're right, you just do yeah. see a different perspective. Um, I think yeah. it's also really good. Um, I actually volunteered at Thames Path 100 before I'd run any ultra. And I did that deliberately um, because actually, whilst I was doing it, I was watching what the runners were doing, what they were eating, how they were behaving. Mm. And it really helped me plan and prepare for my, fir my, my first 50 miler, which was um, about six weeks after that. And so you kind of, you, you learn from volunteering um, yeah, as absolutely. well as becoming part of the community. Um, yeah, I love yeah. volunteering. It's, it's, you also, it's, it's also a confidence boost because you realise that, you know, the people running the race are just like you. They're not some superhuman yeah. um, ultra athletes. They're just regular people who've done a lot of training. Yeah, 